You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. We have here uh, David Hardesty, who's on the Board of Trustees. Uh, he's been on the Board of Trustees with New Life Church actually twice. Uh, once in the uh, late 80s and early 90s, and he uh, left to join Sears Roebuck and Company. And then in 2003, came back to uh, Colorado Springs. Uh, he now works for Andrew Ro- uh, Ro- Womack Ministries, easy for me to say, <clears throat> where he also uh, does finance, and he now once again serves on the Board of Trustees. Uh, so David is going to speak to us today to encourage and enlighten us. So David, come on up. Thank you very much. Well, there's a lot of you folks raised in the Baptist church. <clears throat> You're all sitting in the back. Now, I know that because I was a Baptist once, and I always sat in the back. But that's all right. My vision far is good. My vision short's not. I'd like for you to meet my beautiful wife, Gail. And if you'd stand up. <clears throat> We've been married 44 years this January. Uh, we have two beautiful sons. They're just, they're just wonderful boys that we raised. Uh, they grew up in New Life Church. We started attending New Life Church in 1986. And in 1987, Ted Haggard asked me if I'd be a trustee on the board. At that time, that was the governing body of the church, were, were the trustees. And uh, I was here, uh, I, I, I worked for Sears Robot and Company for 37 years. So when I left, I didn't start with Sears. I had been with them for quite a while. I was actually a district manager here in Colorado. And I oversaw 22 stores in Montana, Wyoming, and Colorado. And then we left and we went to Chicago, and that's when I went off of the board. And then in 2003, I retired, and we came back. Um, Andrew Womack asked me if I would serve as his general manager and chief operating officer, and it's a great honor for me to do that today. Uh, We'll be serving for 10 years this April with Andrew. So in 2003, we came back. In 2004, Ted asked me if I'd come back on the board of trustees. And so I'm uh, one of two trustees, elders now, that actually sat through that whole transition period, which was extremely difficult. But then uh, when Brady came, he reorganized into an eldership and asked if I would stay on as an elder. So now I'm very blessed to be able to be an elder with the church. And it's just a, it's a great blessing. Just a little brief history about myself. I grew up in Idaho, uh, spent my whole life there. I met my beautiful wife at the College of Southern Idaho, and we were both working for Sears at the time. I was working for Sears while I was going to college. And then I went into the Air Force in 1969, uh, served four years in the Air Force, got out, went back to Sears in their management program, and was blessed to be able to move up the management ladder, went to our corporate office in Chicago and worked was a retail store manager, a district manager, and just had a, a really a blessed career with Sears. Loved it. I loved retail. I loved people. And it's what I loved to do. But then there was a time when God spoke to me to take early retirement and come out and help Andrew, and that's what we did. And now my wife and I travel the world, and we are extremely blessed to 
be able to do that. This morning, I want to share with you from Scripture about one of my favorite characters. I'd like for you to turn to Genesis, the 39th chapter, and we're going to read a segment about Joseph. I was born again at 30 years of age. And when I was born again, I was already in the business world, but I wasn't a Christian. Obviously, uh, when I got born again, a lot of things changed. One day I was an alcoholic, and the next day I wasn't. One day I was lost, and the next day I wasn't. And things dramatically changed in my life. And I'll never forget the first time I read this passage. Let me just ask you, is there anybody in here that's 17 years old? Do we have anybody 17 in here? Are you 17? Would you come here, please? I don't want to embarrass you, honey. I just want you to get a picture of something. You see the difference between her and me? (laughs) Other than the obvious of a male-female? Well, this is a 17-year-old. Now, what we're going to read about, this boy was 17. I get emotional here. (laughs) So when we read about this, keep this young lady in your mind, how young she is, and what's transpiring with this young man. And I hope that you can gain wisdom from this story. Thank you for coming up here. I appreciate you doing that. I always like to, whenever I teach about Joseph, I always like for people to get that picture. You see, one thing I want you guys to really get into your hearts is if we just pictured this room, on that side of the wall was before you were ever born. And God knew you. That's pretty, that's pretty significant. If you can grasp that. Before you were ever formed in your mother's womb, He knew you. Then there was that day of birth, and that's that wall right there. And it'll go to that wall right there. And that's your life. And on the other side of that wall is eternity. So you were there, you're now here, and you're going there. And that's what this book is. This book is a story about here. You know, when I was a young man, my wife and I were married. We just had our first child. He was four months old. I had held out of school in order to earn enough money to pay for his birth. It was 300 and some dollars. It'll cost you a lot more. But back then, that was a lot of money. In 1969, $300 was a lot of money, especially to a college student. So I held out of school. I was working at Sears. I worked full time. I earned enough money, obviously, to pay for my son's birth. But in the process, I didn't realize I'd given up my student deferment. 
Now, I was registered to go back into school in the spring session, but that didn't really matter. Because in those days, they had a draft system, and we had a war going on in Vietnam. And so they tried to get everybody that they could. And my name came up. And I, I was off. I went duck hunting. I came home from duck hunting, and there was this invitation to join the U.S. government on my table. And I was heartsick. I had a wife, I had a brand new child, and I just got drafted. Now, I was going to go into AROTC, so I'd taken an Air Force examination, and I'd also taken the Air Force test. But when I talked to the draft board to try to get out of the draft because of my son and the fact I was going back to school, they really didn't care. And this voice inside of me said, well, just tell them that you have already taken your exam in the Air Force and you've already taken your physical. And so I did. And to my surprise, they said, well, if you can get into the Air Force you, before your draft installment date, you can. But if you can't, then you have to go into either the Army or the Marines. Now, here's the dilemma. I've got two years to serve in the Army or I've got four years to serve in the Air Force. What do I do? So I called my dad. And my dad gave me some advice that I've never forgotten. He said, son, the greatest thing we have in life is hindsight. The problem is, we've got to live through it to get it. Does that make sense to you? So until you make your choice, until you do whatever choice it is you do, we won't know if it was the right decision or not. The reason I shared that story with you is because this book, this Bible, is a book of hindsight. That's the beauty of the Bible. God gave us a document that said, I'm going to show you some lives of other people. And I'm going to show you their life. And I want you to learn from it. So I hope when you read the Word you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in the lives of these people and gain from it. I've learned tremendously from this story of Joseph. So I want to take a few minutes and share that with you today. Let's go to chapter 39 and start in verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him. Now think about that. Think about that young lady, that 17-year-old, standing on a block. And in those days, when you stood on a block for slavery, you were completely naked. We know how he got into this situation by his brothers. We know what must have been going on in his life. Think about yourself if you'd been brought into captivity and now all of a sudden you're standing on a block naked in front of a bunch of Egyptians and somebody just bought you. Of the hands of the Ishmaelites which had brought him down hither. And the Lord was with Joseph. 
And he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight. And he served him. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he, that would be Potiphar, had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a godly person and well favored. And it came to pass. After these things, that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused, and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master hath not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened unto her to lie by her, or to be with her. And it came to pass about this same time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them saying, See, he, being Potiphar, hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled, got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spoke unto him according to these words, saying, 
the Hebrew servant, which thou hast brought unto us, came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. That's a pretty amazing chapter, isn't it? There are some major lessons for every one of us to learn. Now, I'm going to be 65 years old in September. I just had to sign up for Medicare. That's terrible. I can't believe that happened to me. Last year, my wife took Social Security. Uh, We don't look that old, do we? But I want to tell you, I've got a lot of years on myself. And I have found this scripture to be true in my life. Let's take a look at this and kind of break this thing down a little bit. First of all, that relationship with God didn't just happen when Joseph was put into slavery at age 17, did it? Because it said immediately that the Lord was with Joseph. That was a relationship that had developed from his youth. Scriptures don't talk about that, but it's obvious that it was there. Joseph had a wonderful relationship with the Lord. The second thing that I'd like to point out is that when he was put into Pharaoh's house, Pharaoh, who was not a godly man, he was a pagan, recognized the blessing that was on Joseph's life. And the scripture says that Joseph, because he was in the house as a servant, was favored of God and was blessed of God, and that everything Joseph put his hand to prospered. And because of that, who else prospered? 
Who else prospered? Potiphar prospered. Not only did Potiphar prosper in his house, but he also prospered in his field. In other words, everything about Potiphar was blessed the same as Joseph was blessed because of God's favor on Joseph. How does that apply to you? How many of you are employed? Do you realize what a blessing you are to your employer? Do you, do you, can you see in this what you bring to your place of employment? 37 years I worked in a retail organization. At the time I went to work for that organization, we were the largest retailer in the world. It was a family organization. All management grew from within the company, so you started at the bottom and you worked your way up. And for a portion of that time, I wasn't a Christian. And I had no idea, none at all, that I was a blessing to my employer. As a matter of fact, it was kind of the opposite. I kind of looked at it as though they were just great to have me there. Because I needed money and it was all about me. What could I do? Everything was about me. It was easy to complain when things weren't right. It was easy to see how I could do things different, how I could do things better. But I'll never forget, <clears throat> after reading this, I saw it different. And I saw how that God's favor was on my life and upon my family's life. And the promotions that I got. See, in my life, I grew up with dyslexia. Anybody have dyslexia here? There's a couple of us that had that. It's, it's very hard to learn when you have dyslexia. So I did not do very well in school. I was a very good athlete, though. And so because I was a good athlete, that kind of got me through school. But just to kind of give you an idea of how unsuccessful I was academically in school, my senior year when you meet with the counselors and you take this little questionnaire and then they kind of counsel you into the field that you ought to go into when you go to college. And I was in the library with all of my friends and they would go in first and come out and lawyers and doctors and teachers and businessmen and all these wonderful professions. And I was the last one to go in. And when I went in and sat down, there was a man and two women. And they looked at me and they said, David, we think you ought to consider being a hairdresser. That was devastating. Devastating. Now keep in mind that after every one of my buddies went in the room and came out, we all were anxious to hear what they said, and yeah, way to go Skeeter, way to go John, Earl, that's good, way to go Gordon, that's super, Rick, awesome. Now here walks out David, and here's all my, 
friends. What am I going to say? I told him the truth. That's when you find out what a true friend is. They didn't laugh. They just said, those guys don't know what they're talking about. You can do anything. But that's not what I thought. I thought, a hairdresser. Now, back then I had a lot of hair. (laughs) I married a hairdresser, but I didn't have any interest in being a hairdresser. None at all. I had totally different visions of what I was going to do. But school was really hard for me, really hard. So I went to college, and the only reason I went to college is because I had a basketball scholarship. I went to college, and I struggled. I tried, and I struggled. And it was really hard for me. And then I went to work for Sears. I got drafted. I went into the Air Force. I came out. I had the GI Bill. I was going to go back to college. I talked to the store manager at Sears, and he said, David, you don't need to go back to college. Well, my dad went to college with me. My dad got his degree. I could have went to college at the College of Idaho at no cost, just would have had to pay for books. But I decided not to go back to school. So I didn't have an education, college degree. So I didn't have what the world says will get you promoted. But I was moving within a retail store in the management. But then I gave my life to Christ. And the change that took place in my life, personally, was phenomenal. Outside, what I didn't realize was the change that God was making for me in my life. And they came to me and they said, now David, because on my reviews, I'd always wanted to get promoted. They said, David, for you to be promoted, you're going to have to take the executive battery test that we give college graduates. And it's from that group of people that we put them into the promotable pools. And only from that group do executives, are are executives chosen. Now, mind you, I had gone to two years of college. I hadn't finished my two years of college. And a C to me was really a good grade. If I got a C, I was a happy camper. If I got a B, it was a miracle. An A was only in my name, the second letter. That's about as close as I got to an A. So I said, I'll do it. So they flew me to Utah, to the University of Utah, and I took the executive battery test. And when I went in there, before I went in there, I prayed. I'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit now. I had my prayer language. I'd been, I just prayed, God, give me wisdom. I went in. I took the test. It was a six-hour test. I left. I came back home. I asked the store manager, how do I find out? And he said, well, David, he said, if you didn't pass it, you just won't hear from them. If you did pass it, you'll get a very nice letter saying, congratulations, you've been added to the executive pool. And it was about a month later (coughs) 
that we got the letter. And that's... That started. And I saw... this blessing in my life. All the way to the corporate office where one day I was sitting in the boardroom about to make a presentation to the board of directors of the largest retail corporation in the world. And I got there early. In fact, uh, Arthur Martin, as the CEO of Sears, the secretary, greeted me and she said, Mr. Hardesty, you're a bit early. She said, the board meeting doesn't start for 45 minutes. And I said, well, this is my first time and I didn't want to be late. She said, well, if you want to go into the boardroom, I'll turn the lights on for you. But I said... in that boardroom and I reflected on this story. God is faithful. He will promote you. You just have to remember who you are. And have to remember that He is with you always. The other thing I want to point out in this story is this statement that Joseph makes in verse 9. And he says... How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Again, I've lived through a lot of situations. Here at this church, I lived through the worst situation of my life. But if you will grasp that statement. If you, if you can get a hold of that truth that Joseph spoke there. Now I understand Joseph was 17 years old. Physically, in a male, at 17 years of age, the testosterone is pretty active. Joseph was in charge of everything. She had set everything up for him. She had made sure the house was empty. It was a perfect setup. Joseph was a handsome man. Why not? She wanted him. Why not? Today, 
we hear of all kinds of falls around us of leaders. I submit to you the reason we find that is because they didn't have the same answer that Joseph had. Relationship. Develop your relationship with God before you build your relationship with man. It'll get you through life without heartache. It also says down here, and it came to pass. Trust me, every one of you, it's going to come to pass. The devil's out to kill, steal, and destroy. He will make something come to pass your way. But what's your answer going to be? Will you be able to say, no. Because of relationship with God. The next thing I want to point out to you is in verse 2. And it was that the Lord was with Joseph. You know, I hear these comments all the time. Where was God? How could God allow this to happen? It amazes me how easy it is for man to blame God. Because they don't have a clue who he is. This is in verse 2. Right after verse 1. Of which he was sold on the block. Some people would look at that and say... Where's God? Why have you forsaken me? The Lord will never leave you or forsake you. Ever. Lo, I will be with you always to the end of the earth. You know, in the Bible, words mean something. And the word always means always. That means he's never not there. Never. To the highest high, to the lowest low, he's there. And in verse 2, he was prosperous. Now go figure. You're a slave. You've just been purchased. Your brothers threw you in a pit. And you're prosperous? Could Joseph see prosperity? Could it, was it physically there in front of him? Was he being paid? Potiphar was a wealthy man. If you were the head of Potiphar's house and he was paying you, it would have been a pretty good salary. Joseph was getting nothing. He was a 
slave. But he was prosperous. That's how God works. You are prosperous. Never look at your circumstances. Never look at what money you have. Never look at where you are and measure it by world's terms. God delights in the prosperity of His children. Verse 4 and 21. Grace and favor was with Joseph. He was a slave. But he carried the grace of God on his life and he carried the favor of man because of that grace. Man saw a heathen, Potiphar, a jailer saw Joseph's life, saw that he was blessed. He was a prisoner. He was a slave. They saw the grace and the mercy and the favor of his life. In verse 5, it reiterates, your employer is blessed because you are there. Excuse me. Honor your employer. I taught my boys that Number one, if there's some place you want to go, do whatever it takes to get your foot in the door. Secondly, when you get in there, make yourself so valuable that when hard times come, you're the last person they want to get rid of because you're such a blessing to them. Work ethic is not something that's been taught a lot to your generation. And that's very unfortunate. I grew up extremely poor. I was the youngest of five. I thought all shoes came with cardboard so that you could fill the hole down in the bottom. Now you pay a lot of money for holes in your jeans. In the 50s, holes in your jeans wasn't a sign of prosperity. All my jeans had holes in them, except they had these iron-on little things you could put over them that my mom had tried to iron on, and they'd come undone, and I'd wear another hole in them. But I got new clothing at Christmas, one piece, or at a birthday when an aunt or an uncle would give us something, but we were really poor. but my parents taught us how to work I started working when I was just a little boy probably seven years old eight years old I started my first job when I was ten I've worked ever since when I was in the Air Force they didn't pay a whole lot of money in the Air Force and again I had a child and then later we had our second child, Corey, on the way, and so we needed more money. I worked three jobs 
when I was in the Air Force. I know how to work. That's not something that has really been passed down. In fact, today in our world, it's an entitlement society. You're owed. Well, I wasn't owed anything. I had to work for everything. <clears throat> but I can tell you, God prospered me. But when I saw this, and I saw that I was a blessing to my boss, I taught that to my children. Make yourself valuable. Number one, recognize that when you're in that place of employment, you're a blessing. I didn't do it. (laughs) That business and your employer's blessed because you're there, and because of that, you'll be blessed. My son Matthew suffered with the same thing I suffered with, dyslexia. And he struggled. But he went to work for Jack in the Box. And he was a hard worker. And I remember him coming home one day and he said, Dad, they're shutting down a bunch of Jack in the Boxes and they're getting rid of all the people. But my boss came to me and said, Matthew, we're going to keep you. It worked. He worked hard, and when things went bad, they kept him. Be a good employee. Be a good student. Understand that wherever you are, you bring blessing to that location. The last thing I want to share with you is that what we read today took place from age 17 to age 22. Joseph died at 110. There's a lot more to this story that goes up to age 38. And if you've read this, you know that he became the head of over all of Egypt, just under Pharaoh. And I believe it started because of that choice he made. Everything could have been different. God would have always been with Joseph, but it could have totally went different if he hadn't have made that choice. How could I do this and sin against my God? Thank you. We've got, uh, we've got a few minutes, and uh, I wanted to just take a moment and open it up to Q&A. And the reason I wanted to do that is because I'm the only elder that has been with the church since 1986, Garden of the Gods Centennial out here, and outside of Brad Valentine, who will not be able to be with you folks because he had heart surgery, I'm the only elder that sat through all the issues that we went through when Ted fell. And... Not very often would you get an opportunity to ask 
a question if it's on your heart. Brady gets asked a lot of questions, and I always tell him how unfair that is because he wasn't here. He never had to go through this. Garvin wasn't here. He never had to go through it. I did. So I just wanted to open it up to Q&A, not necessarily to that subject, but to any question that you might have in relationship to anything, but in particular asking an elder about the church and maybe how it's governed or how we govern it. So I'll do that here for maybe five or ten minutes. Be good. I see that hand right back here. Um, I had a question for you with, you know, you've been, you said you've been married for almost 44 years. Um, Could you speak up a little bit? Because I can't hear. Sorry, do I testing. need to get in a different place? Um, is this, what do you want me to do, Ryan? Okay. Uh, the question I had was, um, in your experience, when it comes to courting someone, is it, mm, best way to word this would be, I guess, um, would it be a good idea to be cautious if, a girl's father is, um, I guess, perhaps a, a detriment to her faith or doesn't believe in, in Christianity or just doesn't support her in the way that a father should. What are, what are your thoughts on that, having gone through 44 years of marriage and raised two sons? First of all, let me say this. <clears throat> Dating is a very dangerous thing. Very dangerous. Your body's chemicals are very active at your age. That's the way God created you. The devil knows it too. So be very wise when you date. Date in groups. Try not to be alone. When I dated my wife, the thing that drew me to her and that I looked for in any girl I dated, and I wasn't a Christian, was how did she feel about her parents? If I ever dated a girl and she spoke poorly about her parents, I would never date her again. My wife spoke highly of her parents. I don't think, personally, this is my opinion, the relationship with you will say, and this young lady, has anything to do with her father's beliefs. Because what are you going to do about that now? Your situation is with this young lady. But I will say this, no matter what his beliefs are, your responsibility is to honor him as her father. You see, <clears throat> my wife and I <clears throat> were blessed to lead both of our fathers to the Lord. You never know. So your place is to honor her father as her father. Live your life as a Christian. That living your life as a Christian will influence him. See, when I led my father to the Lord, my father was 58 years old. I remember walking on a sidewalk with my father 
and we were visiting. And I said, Dad, you, you're a good man, but you never went to church. How come? I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, son, I've known a lot of Christians, and I've never seen any of them that had anything I wanted. That's huge. Your responsibility is to live your faith, not preach your faith. There's a lot of people preaching it, but they don't live it. Live it. If you live your faith, you will influence So my answer is, honor her father as her father. Honor her as his daughter in your relationship with her. Because you never know what's going to happen. Okay? Anybody else have a question? You always know if your answer didn't scare them away. Uh, This may be a pretty touchy subject for you, but you mentioned that you had overcome the uh, the obstacle of alcoholism. Uh huh. I was just wondering uh, how you overcame that. And uh, I um, <clears throat> was sitting in uh, church. My wife exhorted me to church. I uh, reserved my Sundays for golf. I went to church when I was a boy and didn't like it at all and thought it was hypocritical. And so, as soon as I didn't have to go to church, I didn't. And I totally walked away from the Lord. My wife, on the other hand, saw a need for it, so she went to church and took our children. And I basically mocked her for it. But she, being the wonderful wife she is, she prayed for me. But I finally relented and went to church with her, and after a period of time, I was really moved. And I don't have time to tell you that story of my conversion, but it was dramatic, dramatic. But this one evening, Sunday evening, we were sitting on the right-hand side towards the back of the church, and the service was over, and I gave my heart to Jesus. And when I did that, and in my prayer, I just said, Lord, I said, I know you're real, but I need for you to take away my desire for alcohol, and my swearing. Because I grew up in a culture that swearing was just English. Using the Lord's name in vain was just English. I mean, everybody did it, and it's what everybody did. Only I think I did it probably more than most. In fact, one time somebody made that comment to my wife about me, how hard I was, and In fact, they they didn't encourage her very much that I'd ever come to the Lord. But when I did that, that day, that evening, it started at the toes, at my very tip of my toes. And as much as I could explain it to you, it would be a a hot flash. (laughs) You you won't know about that now, but ladies, (laughs) you will. My wife calls him your personal summer. <laughs> but it started at the tip of my toes and just slowly <clears throat> went up my body and out the top of my head. 
And the next day, I didn't have a desire for alcohol. Now, that doesn't mean I don't like alcohol. I'll have a glass of wine now and then. But I don't drink. I don't get drunk. And I lived for it. I'd come home at my lunch hour and have a blender full of vodka and grapefruit juice because you can't smell that. So I'd drink a six-pack of tall Coors every night. I'd drink a case of Coors on my day off. But after that night, I didn't care to drink again. Now when I have pizza, I drink milk. Milk and pizza is really good. Beer and pizza used to be really good. (laughs) But milk and pizza is better. But God took it away from me. He took it away from me. I hope that helps you. Let me just say this. Um, the, the key element in your salvation experience is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I cannot emphasize to you how important that is. That evening, I gave my heart to Jesus and I was born again, but that next day when I read the Bible, it was as confusing as it was the day before when I wasn't born again. It was just a book full of a lot of stories that I didn't understand. And then one Sunday night, praying for my wife to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, she was in one Sunday school room, I was in another. She wanted it so bad. I didn't care anything about it. I was raised a Baptist and that's... A little weird. Really weird. So I was in another Sunday school room. She was in in another Sunday school room. I was praying for her to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I started speaking in tongues. It was a wonderful experience. The next day, I opened my Bible... In those days, during the Jesus movement of the 70s, the Bible of choice was good news for modern man. Anybody ever heard of that? That tells you how young you are. It was the Bible. It was a paper-bound Bible. and I don't even know where this was. It was somewhere in the Old Testament. I opened my Bible that morning, and these words jumped off the page at me. You look at this through the eyes of man and not through the eyes of God. Everything changed. I mean, the word exploded. And now I read the Bible and I love it. I mean, I can read the same, I can read this story, I don't, hundreds of times I've read this story about Joseph. And every time I read it, if you look at my Bible, I hope your Bible's written in. My, I got notes all over that chapter. And I keep writing. I even wrote a couple more in there this morning. Because the Word is so alive. And it's because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's expedient that I go. That's a pretty big statement. So that He can come. Being the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the same as Jesus. The Holy Spirit's the same as God. They're three. And he said, when he comes, he'll teach you all things. When God says a word, it means something. And the word all means in Greek, Hebrew, 
English, Russian, German, all is all. So let me encourage you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is huge in your life. Huge. Make sure you ask for it and you'll receive it. Anybody else have one more question? Okay. I just have one question for you. How in the world can you eat all that bread and stay as thin as you do? It is a blessing being with you. Thank you all very much. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.